Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I seem to be in a sentimental mood of late. Maybe it's got to do with this, could very well be. Last week I spoke to you about what happened 16 years ago in my life. Today I'm going back a little further. I'm going back about 23 years. And the reason, I guess, also I was really stirred and motivated, for those of you who missed out on Wednesday evening when we had the KLS crew come and every, they shared their testimonies on Wednesday evening, we were really thoroughly and properly blessed. We heard stories of, of God's kindness, of His faithfulness, of how he had come through for each one in different situations. And sometimes it's really good for us to pause and to reflect and to think back on what God has done for us. And there's a number of reasons for that. The first thing it does is it gives us a heart of sincere gratitude. Of gratitude, saying, Father God, man, I know that I've got my struggles now. I know I'm not the finished article, but boy, am I glad you saved me. And man, am I glad that I'm not, I'm not where I used to be. Man, am I glad for the things you have done. The other wonderful thing that thinking through our story does is it crystallizes for us one of the most powerful tools in evangelism, and that is our testimony. Your testimony, the story of what God has done for you, is one of your most powerful evangelistic tools. When you can tell somebody, this is what God did for me, and have it in a clear way, you see, so often we're kind of aware of it, but when it comes to sharing it, to talking about it, it's not, it's not always crystal clear. We don't have it figured out. So having these things and thinking them through helps and reminds us and gives us, you know, when you have that next conversation, you're having coffee with somebody, and you can easily just say, you know, I was just thinking of just what God has done for me in my life. And share, some, share your story with somebody. Bless them and encourage them. 23 years ago, somewhere around this time of the year, I walked through those doors for the first time. I was a bit of a young upstart. I thought I knew quite a few things about Christianity and ministry. In my years in high school, I had functioned as a youth leader and with good results despite my worldliness. I still look on some of those and see the lives of those who, who I, for a short period of time, sort of was their youth leader and just wonderful people and the privilege that I had to, to take that position I served as a Sunday school facilitator. I had been the chairperson of this Christian association at my school. Never have you known such a hypocrite in your life. I had been part of a worship team serving on the drums. I was now actually, at the time that I walked in here, I was helping out at another church's worship team, playing on the electric guitar. And so perhaps you could say I did know some things. But at the time I walked through those doors for the first time, I was a broken, jaded man filled with shame. And I'll still never forget walking in here. You see, I used to play the drums in my old church, right? And I was always in trouble for playing drums too loudly. It's impossible to play drums softly unless you have nice electric ones like this. It really is a challenge. But I don't do many things softly. <laughs> so it's an extra challenge for me. And I'll never forget the first time I walked in here. That Sunday, 
We sang, this church sang a song called There's a Wind Blowing. Now, I don't know if you remember, Stephen plays that with uh, a lot of bass. Whoa, I would have been in such trouble for playing that at my, you know, where I came from. That was, would not have been acceptable. And I thought, wow, what kind of place is this? What kind of place is this? And they started singing about a wind that's blowing. Wind, come and blow over me. What kind of weird songs are these that these people are singing? Anyway, I'm just giving you a little (laughs) window into what I thought when I walked in here for the first time, not being familiar with spiritual things, though I thought I knew a lot about Christianity. You see, when I came into this place, it was after a period of of isolation from the things of God. A few years before that day, 23 years ago, I was reminded of a scripture that comes out of the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, and it says this, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And I knew that at that time in my life, I certainly was not hot. I wasn't entirely cold, but to be honest with you, though I wasn't hot, I really didn't want to be. And so I remember making a decision in my heart to say, well, look, if I can't be all in, might as well be all out. And I walked away from church. I walked away from a relationship with God. I walked away from reading my Bible because truly my heart wasn't invested in it. The fruit was clearly evident. But then things changed. And the truth is that although I wanted to be a good man, I wanted to be somebody not just that people could respect, I wanted to be somebody that I could respect. It's one thing to have the respect of people. You know, you can do that by having a position. You can put on a mask for a little while, but it's an altogether different thing to be somebody that you yourself respect, that you actually believe your own words. You actually, you actually believe that you're going to follow through on your own intentions. But I simply didn't know how. I didn't know how to be a man that I would respect. Everything I did to make myself feel more accomplished, more worldly wise, you know, drinking, smoking, being the life of the party, they only exacerbated my shame. They only highlighted again and again to me the fact that I am not a man that even I can respect. And so I was when I entered this building for the first time. And the reason I came through those doors is because somebody brought me. She happens to be sitting here today. Somebody brought me through those doors. They didn't send me. They didn't give me the address. They brought me. Why did they bring me? Well, they simply invited me into what it was that they were doing. That was her Sunday morning thing. She was a member of this church. She came to this church. She said, well, come along with me. And that's all that she did. She just invited me along. And that was really good. But that wasn't really where things began to change for me. You see, I I tend to change like an oil tanker. Oil tankers don't turn quickly. Speedboats do. Rubber ducks do. Oil tankers, you know, you turn the rudder and it takes a long time for them to turn. A really long time. But you see, when I came here, I began to be 
confronted by a force of nature named Andreas Kiriakou. <laughs> and my memory of him right in those early days is much like the memory of most of you. Questions. 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 And not like little questions, not like how are you, how's the weather. No, deep, deep questions. Like, that's personal stuff you're sticking your fingers into there. And the wonder of this is that he kept drawing me in. He kept drawing me in through these questions, drawing me in to participation. Began playing, began attending certain meetings because he drew me in. He said, come on in. Been drawn into a relationship because he would sit with me. He would take time. He would make an effort. He would make phone calls. And he kept drawing me in, and I kept being drawn in. Although the truth is, it wasn't really him that was drawing me in. It was the Lord that was drawing me in. The Lord was drawing me back into a relationship with him. The Lord was drawing me back in from the things that I'd known and perhaps in a measure experienced, but because of my own sinfulness, my own rebellious wayward heart, I had never truly given myself to. But yet the Lord continued to call me in. He continued to desire intimate relationship with me. Jeremiah 31 says this, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of my life. That God has loved me with an everlasting love, a love that I do not deserve, did not deserve. <laughs> I know I didn't deserve it. Most of you know it too. But yet, by His loving kindness, He has drawn me in. Despite my walking away, despite my insecurities and my shame, God began to draw me in with loving kindness through a man. And as I said, I know this was unmerited. I didn't earn this. There's no ways I sort of did the right things. Because listen, I'd learned how to do all the right things. I can speak Christianese. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Too blessed to be stressed. Blessings. But it was as though You see, when God wants to communicate that He sees something in you, when your heart is closed to Him, when God wants to communicate that He treasures you, that He has a call on your life, how is He going to do that? How is He going to do that when your ear is not attentive to Him? The way He is going to do that is through a man or a woman, a person, who are sensitive enough to the Lord to be willing to see those around them through God's eyes. They're able to see and to recognize something in you that the natural eye cannot perceive. They're able to look beyond the facade and to love who you really are, to be willing to see something in you and to give you a chance. And when I think of my journey with Pastor Andreas, he was a man who was willing to get his hands dirty in helping me clean my life up. And in essence, that's what he did. He got his hands dirty in all of my stuff to help me clean up my life. 
He prayed for me. He expected more of me. He believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself. One of the most greatest gifts, the people who have touched my life and influenced me to the highest and the deepest measures are those who have believed in me and shown faith in me, even when I didn't, couldn't in myself. They were willing to look past the stuff that even I wasn't willing to look past and still believe, still believe. And Pastor Andreas kept pointing me back to the one whose loving kindness was really drawing me in. I can honestly say I would not be who I am today were it not for the love, for the affection, and yes, even for the discipline that I received through this relationship. Now, he is not my God. He is not my Lord. I understand all of these things. I do not worship him. But what an influence one life can have on another when it is devoted to ministering, loving care, and loving kindness of God through and to that soul. But you can reverse a little bit further and go, but I would never have been in this relationship had someone not brought me. Just a simple act had brought me into something. Let me illustrate for you again just how simple this little small principle is. I've heard the story before, and so I want to look it up for you. I'm going to read to you some things. Yes, I, I didn't get the whole sermon off the internet, but this little part I did, I confess, because it's a story and I want to share it with you. Have any of you ever heard of somebody named Edward Kimball? Anybody? Nobody's heard of Edward Kimball. Could possibly be called one of the most influential people in modern Christianity. Let me explain to you why. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyperactive boys in his class, but also sought to win each one to the Lord personally. So in other words, he didn't just teach a Sunday school lesson and go home. He prayed for these youngsters. He decided he would be intentional with every single last one of them. Surely, he thought about throwing in the towel. If you have ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know the experience can often be like herding cats. I say amen to that. I will never forget, I think it was the second time I ran a youth meeting with a bunch of kids, and I was trying to teach them what makes a Christian. A Christian is not that you go to church. It's not that, you, that, you, it's that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. And I remember asking all the boys around this group that I, was, that I was trying to teach, and I said, what makes a good Christian? And somebody said, you must go to church. I said, yes. Yes, you must pray. Yes. Yeah. You must say pardon when you poop. <laughs> yes. That's a good thing for a Christian to do. Good point. Well-raised young man there. Anyway, let me get back to the story. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand that what the gospel was about, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stockroom with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. Now that name rings a few more bells, doesn't it? In the stockroom on that Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with thousands professing, professing Christ through his ministry. And an infomercial style, but wait, there's more. The story doesn't end there. Actually, that's only where it begins. 
Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day, a professional ball player, I'm assuming baseball, had a day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings. And thus, Bully Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's team. Then, Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted, whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a pig, but Jesus saved him. He was a scholarly, I'll wait for you, he was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets, advertising his meetings. Maybe we should do that. Imagine that we get a hearse... We march down Forest Drive. Death comes unexpectedly. Turn to Jesus. Open it up. You can climb in now if you like. <laughs> when Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go near, wouldn't go hear him preach. But Billy Frank as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school. I think you all know what a house of ill repute, me, Ill repute means. And that male students were skipping lunch to go and visit the house across the street. When students decided to go to interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham... Billy Frank decided he wanted to go and see what would happen. So his attendance at this meeting was simply to to see what is going to shake down. Ham, Billy Frank, uh, so you see what would happen, sorry. That night, Billy Frank went, excuse me, and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. You could continue following this trail and see where Graham and all of us started with the ministry of Jesus. Think about how far-reaching Christ's message has gone. This fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his boys. If you are like most people, you've served in some capacity and wondered at times if you're making a real difference or not. Maybe you've even thought about quitting because you didn't think you were making any difference. The next time you're tempted to give up, please remember Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was tremendously honored by the Lord. The true story, uh, the story would have looked very different if Edward Kimball did not take his, Sunday, his Saturday off to seek out Dwight Moody. And they have a little quote here, a little saying. You can count the apples on the tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. And so maybe you're thinking this morning, who ministered to Edward Kimball? Who's the one who led him to the Lord? We don't know. But we see that just through one man's care for a little boy led to a chain of events, to a chain that just that, that led to many, many people who we celebrate. We call them heroes of the faith. And it began with just a Sunday school teacher with a bunch of boys around him. In his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9, Paul says this. He says, I planted the seed in your heart. 
Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. You know, folks, it's important for us to remember when we hear messages like this that it is not your job or my job to get people saved. Only Jesus can do that. We cannot save anybody unless they're drowning, and then you can. But we do have the the privilege and the responsibility of sowing the seeds of God's love and His sincere care for others. We get to introduce them to our God. We get to show them what He is like. Sometimes we sow a seed. Sometimes we reap a harvest. Sometimes we water through words of encouragement, through reminding somebody that God loves them. Sometimes we show them His kindness through a random act, undeserved, unmerited. Sometimes we convey His heart by simply having faith in somebody, by believing in them, by helping them up when nobody else will. Who knows the difference a small word of encouragement, a small act of kindness can make? Who knows? Who knows what the ripple effect may be? Jesus, articulating the same principle in John 4, verses 35 to 38, said this, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought into eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it's true. I have sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather in the harvest. You see, people are unlikely to take an interest in Jesus until you and I are willing to take a sincere interest in them. Did you get that? People are willing, uh, will not be willing to take a sincere interest in Jesus until somebody who carries Jesus decides to take a sincere interest in them. Sincere interest in me changed my life. It changed the course of my destiny. It changed the trajectory that I was on. Because somebody decided to take a sincere interest in me. And I want to say to you, today it is easier than ever before to take a sincere interest in somebody. Just pick up the phone. Give them a call. Hey, how are you? I had you on my mind. Just wanted to check in and say hi. Oh, but they haven't called me in months. Shame. But it's always me reaching out. Didn't. That's terrible. It must be so hard for you. We make all these reasons and all these excuses why we don't want to reach out, why we don't want to make the difference. We somehow need some reciprocal action. No. Jesus didn't wait for you and I to turn to him. He came and he paid the price for our sin because he loved us. He was willing to pursue us. He didn't set a whole bunch of conditions first but he stepped into our situation to make the difference for us. 
and it cost him. And all he asks you and I to do is to embrace that same heart. Let me ask you a simple question. In relation to you, where is Jesus? Simple question. It's not a trick question. Can anybody tell me where Jesus is? He's in your heart. Somebody said, yeah, I found Jesus. Someone else said, I didn't know he was missing. Where is Jesus? It's like the little boy who, whose mother couldn't handle him anymore, so she went to the priest. and She said, please, can you help me? So the priest came over and sat with the little boy and said to him, where is Jesus? And the little boy, was, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to answer him. So he just remained silent. So uh, eventually the minister left and he ran. This little boy ran over to his brother and he said, I'm in big trouble. They can't find Jesus and they think I took him. (laughs) Where is Jesus? Ephesians 3.17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Where is Jesus? He is in you. He's in your heart. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So listen, folks. Here's the point, and here's the beautiful, simple message I want to leave with you today. If Jesus is in your heart, and you want to draw people to Jesus, where do you draw them to? You draw them to the place where He is. You draw them to your heart. It's called sincere love and care. That's the heart of spiritual fathering. Paul says... To the Corinthians, he says, you may have many teachers, but you have not many fathers. When he sends his son Timothy to the Philippians, he says to them, I'm sending you Timothy because I have no one else like-minded. All are concerned for their own things, but you know him with me as shared in the gospel, and he sincerely cares for you. In other words, he had drawn them into his heart in the same way that Paul had drawn them into his heart. These names that we are praying for, folks, the people around you in the workplace. We have a culture that stands off, that tries to keep people at a distance so that we can somehow protect ourselves. But in doing so, guess who we're keeping them from? Jesus within us. If we are wanting to win people to Jesus, if we are wanting to draw them to the Lord, we need to bring them into the place where the Lord is, and that is into our hearts to love them sincerely, to invite them into our family situation, to invite them into the things that we are doing, to invite them into a place of affection. Listen, I want to read the verse to you again. Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord has appeared to me of old saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. How do we draw people to the love of Christ? With His loving kindness. There's two synonyms for the word loving kindness. The one is tenderness, and the other one is affection. 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 Look. That awkward affection. See, he's not so, he's not so invested into this. But it's... Affection. Can you say that word with me? Affection. How do you describe affection? How do you convey affection? Bible tells us to greet one another with a holy kiss. No, we're not going there. How would you convey affection? Hmm? 
It has to be, a fiction, is, you're right, in action, a fiction is not something that's passive, right? Now listen, some people are avert to hugs. I challenge you to hug Stephen after the service. <laughs> some people don't like it, they don't want you in their space, but you know what, there's other ways to give people affection. Affection can be spoken. I love you. I'm naturally quite an affectionate person. In my family, we don't hang up a call without saying I love you. One of the wonderful things that when I lost my dad, what were my last words to him? Love you, dad. Every call, every time. And we think those little things don't matter. I want to tell you they matter. They matter a great deal. It's quite strange when I make good friends and I love them, especially the guys. I'll have to do it as a joke the first time. Cheers, man. Love you, bud. Love you, too. <laughs> okay, we broke the ice. I got it in there. I got it in there. But there's a conveying of some affection that, that says, here's what affection says, I truly care about you. Folks, Jesus truly cares about you, but Jesus truly cares about everyone else around you. And what he wants you and I to do is to care about them too. To care about the fact that without him they are lost. And they are struggling. If they're anything like me, the biggest struggle that they have... You see, in our, for, for, for most of us, not all of us, there are obviously exceptions. For most of us, we probably work in an environment or we probably have a family environment where people have heard of Jesus. Maybe they've had some experience of religion. And all that's left them feeling is ashamed, knowing they don't measure up, knowing they're not good enough. And that was me. Shame. Now, when we couple this principle with, under, with uh, the, the, this practical understanding with the realization that we are Holy Spirit-filled and empowered people, we begin to make way for the gifts of God to operate through us as a further demonstration of the loving kindness of God. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you are truly looking to love somebody and wrap your heart around them, you're going to be praying for them. And as you pray for them, God's going to be giving you things. He's going to be speaking things to your heart. He's going to be revealing things to you that you can pray into. He's going to give you creative ways to show His loving kindness and His affection to those people. And this was the difference between drawing me in and discipling me. That's where discipleship begins to happen. You see, as Pastor Andreas was led by the Spirit of God concerning my life and future, his discipleship began. He drew me in with loving kindness. He cared about me. He invested in me. He seemed to be particularly interested with where my money went. Because although I worked, I never seemed to have any. <laughs> Where's your money going? I don't know. We need to see to that. Get order in your life. So he began to walk a journey with me, and he cared about me. And as he prayed for me, and as he watched me, and as he worked with me, he began speaking words and guiding me towards a trajectory that was furthest, furthest thing from my dreams, furthest thing from my mind. It's so fun meeting people who I was in high school with or college and having them ask me what you do. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a pastor. A pastor? You? 
I had an employer once. I used to work at a pub. And they sold the pub, and uh, eventually the pub wasn't doing well, so they bought it back, and they were redoing it and getting it going. And one day I popped in just to say hi. And I walk in, and, and I, I meet, I meet the, oh, Michael, how are you? So what are you doing with yourself now? I'm a pastor. What? Really? You? I said, yes. She goes, yeah, you'd make a good pastor. <laughs> the difference you can make in somebody's life can be immense. can be absolutely huge if you're just willing to love and care for them with the heart of Jesus. And again, here we see, here we see the heart that Paul carried again towards the Philippian church. This is the final verse for the morning. Philippians 2.17 says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Folks, we cannot pour out that which we are trying to hold on to. Did you get that? We can't pour out the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the affection of our Father, if we're just trying to hold on to it for ourselves. There needs to be this willingness to let go because our effectiveness as witnesses depends on our level of surrender to Christ. And so there is really no limit to what Christ can do to a heart that is yield, through a heart that is yielded to Him fully. There's no limit to what He can do. And this is why you and I come back again and again and again to the foot of the cross, to that place where we think back and we go, Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice you made. Thank you for the price that you paid and what you have cleansed me from and what you have brought me out of. I want to say to you folks, investing, being invested in the life of somebody else is one of the best ways to crucify the flesh because <laughs> you're not always going to feel like it. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be difficult sometimes. Because working with people is messy. It's messy. We get their stuff all over us. But that's what love does, isn't it? It's willing to get in there and get hands dirty to clean up the mess. I want to just leave you with this thought today before I hand over to Craig, who's going to lead us in communion. I want to just remind you that wherever you go, you carry the presence of Jesus. And the only way that you are going to truly bring people close to Him is when you are willing to drop your guard and be a little bit more vulnerable and be willing to draw people close to yourself. And I challenge you with that. Because that's not always easy or comfortable. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's not even always well-received. But there are those who we know. There are those in our workplace. There are friends that we may have who Jesus just really wants to get close to. And you are an avenue that can facilitate that process if you are willing to draw them close to your own heart. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.